Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Hey, I'm so uh, so glad that you're here tonight. How's everyone doing with your New Year's resolutions? Anyone crushing your resolutions right now? Just doing so good? Feeling good about yourself? Who crashed and burned already? You're like, I... 2021 can't come soon enough. Anybody just get to the point where you're just like, I know me, so I'm not even going to try? <laughs> Points for honesty. Points for honesty. Uh, man, we're, we're just so excited uh, for this new year and what God has done, but what more importantly, what God is going to do. And uh, we are just expecting um, to see God do amazing things, not just in our church, but in our lives, in all of our lives. And uh, that's the beauty of community is that we just get to see each other grow in the Lord and, and strengthen each other as we go. And, uh, man, church community is just, it's the best. It's awesome. And what we like to do is we like to, to start the year off with a vision series every year. And this is um, one of, if not the most important series that we do in church. And so uh, we, we've entitled this vision series this year, Make Room. This is a theme that, that we've just felt impressed on our hearts as leadership, and, uh, and we, we just really believe that, that we have some direction from the Lord. And I want to ask you real quick, before we even jump into week one tonight, I want to ask you to commit to being here for these next few weeks. We're going to be doing this for the next three weeks, and the reason why it's so important that you make it a priority to be here is that every week builds on the next. And, uh, you know, I, I really believe that you you're not in a place to have vision for an organization or a church if you don't first have vision for your own life. And so as we get into this tonight, we're really going to be starting these first two weeks on the importance of having vision for your life and what God desires to do in your life uh, this year. And, uh, you know, we believe that a healthy church is a church of healthy people that are growing in their relationship with God, that have never arrived but are always striving to go deeper in their relationship with the Lord. So turn to your neighbor and let them know you're going to be here the next three weeks. If I could just point something out to you, you know, we do believe that lying is a sin and lying in church is exponentially worse. And so I appreciate the step that you all just took and uh, that you're going to be faithful to your commitment, not just to your neighbor, but to the Lord, more importantly. So um, as we get started, we're, we're, uh, we're going to start week one of this series, and I've entitled this talk tonight, Positioned with Purpose, Say, Positioned with Purpose. You know, we believe that there is not a season or stage of life that you could walk through that is absent of purpose. We believe that in every season of life, there is purpose in it. You know, we read that David says in Psalm 37 that the Lord directs the steps of the godly, that he delights in every detail of their lives. We've been talking about this closing out 2019, how you know, maybe your experience with God or your experience with religion has been that you dedicate Sundays to him or you dedicate some time to him during the week, but the rest of the week is you trying to do the best that you can with the cards that have been dealt to you or the life that, that you have in front of you. We believe that God doesn't want to be confined to an hour and a half service on a Sunday or a Tuesday night, but, but God actually cares about every detail of your life, that if you will give the Holy Spirit room that he wants to guide you and lead you and speak to you every step of the way. And how amazing is it to have a promise that not only is God involved and not only does he care about every detail of your life, but he has plans for you. See, we, we don't believe that you just happened uh, 
to, to, to show up on, on the face of the earth and that God is going to use you in some way. We believe that God formed you in your mother's womb, that God specifically made you and he knit you together. He created you specifically for something specific. I believe that the, the, the question that many of you have asked, the question that has kept me up at nights before is, man, is there more to life than this? Is, is, there, is there a greater meaning or a greater purpose? Yes, there is. That is the Holy Spirit pointing you to the fact that there is an eternal destiny set for your life, that there is purpose to your life. You are positioned with purpose. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew with Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It says in the Passion Translation, We've become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we would do to fulfill it. I wonder if you actually believe that there is purpose in your current position. I wonder if you actually believe that there is purpose to the season of life you are currently walking through right now. I wonder if you have made room, if you have sought the Lord, if you have given attention to the fact of, of seeking what purpose there might be behind what you're facing at the moment. You know, we, we believe the word of God to be true. So, so we believe here that it doesn't matter if you're going through a season of success. Maybe you're going through a time of life right now where everything is clicking. Everything is working. Prayers are being answered. You're finding success in everything that you do. You are on a hilltop at the moment. You know what? We believe that there is purpose in that. And it doesn't matter if you're not crushing life, but life is actually crushing you at the moment, that everything is falling apart, that it feels like things are out of control, that it feels like things are chaotic, that there is hurt every step of the way. We believe that there is purpose in that season. Maybe you're in a season where, where things New are happening. Things, things are coming to be. Things that you have wanted for a long time. We believe that there's purpose in that. Maybe you are in a season of waiting for things to happen, for things to come about. We believe that there is purpose in waiting, that waiting is not wasting, that there is purpose in every season. We believe that, that when God says that he uses all things, all seasons, all stages of life, good times and bad times, times of, of provision and times of waiting, that he uses all of it for your good, to grow you, to not just do things in you, but to do things through you. You see, purpose speaks to the reason why something exists, the reason why something was, was created. Purpose speaks to what has been all along. How many people are thankful that you have a destiny, you have a purpose on your life? That life is not just what I experienced Monday to Friday. There is a greater purpose behind this thing called life. There is purpose in your position. But so many times we just fall into this trap and we, we talk about it all the time, especially being where we live in the, in the Northeast where life is so crazy that that you might not even intentionally be trying to not investigate your godly purpose. You're just so distracted by life, you never make room to actually find the purpose in your position. We want to start this year off by being intentional about saying, God, what do you desire to do? 
You, God, you know where I'm at. You know what I'm facing. You know what I'm going through. You know the successes I've had, the failures that I've had. You know where my heart's at. You know the desires. You know the disappointments. You know it all. And God, I believe that there is some sort of purpose for me right now. I just need to know what it is. If you blow by that and you don't give that thought, I can guarantee you one thing. 2020 will probably end up being a lot like 2019. If you want something new, you need to approach it in a new way. And I want to challenge you tonight to continually investigate the purpose for where you're positioned. Now, I'm going to do something different tonight. I don't know, actually, that I've ever done this before, but we are literally going to go through an entire book of the Bible. Stress immediately. I saw some of you guys like, are you kidding me? You're like, forget this three-week stuff. I'm not making it through tonight. We're going to go quick. But I, I really felt like I wanted to show you a story because we have the gift of the Bible. I, I want to show you a story from a bird's eye view of, of God's plan, of God's timing, of, of somebody who came to the realization that there was purpose in their position. It's a book of the Bible called Esther, and go figure, the main character is a lady named Esther. But, but the book doesn't start there. You, you start this book by being introduced to this king named Ahasuerus. And, and the queen at the time, her name was Queen Vashti. Now, the king and queen, they, they were not Jews. They were not God-fearing uh, people. They were, he was a pagan king. And, uh, and you actually read that, that this guy threw parties like you've never been to. Maybe some of you in here are like, I've been to some wild parties. You ain't never been to a party like this. This party lasted four days. This, this guy was a party animal. And you actually read about this one party that had lasted for days, and, uh, and it gets to the point where this king, he sends for Queen Vashti because he wants to show her off. She's smoking, apparently, and he, he, he wants to show her off to the kingdom. Look how I got it. Now, the queen is like, I'm not your toy. I'm not doing that. And so the queen says no. The problem is, is that you don't say no to the king in these times. The, the king is so embarrassed and enraged that he actually terminates her queenship. He gets rid of her. As if you thought that was even possible with a queen, he literally terminates her queenship. But then you start to read that, that over a period of time, he comes to the realization like, man, I kind of miss, you know, some of the things that came with having a, a queen. And, and, you know, I, I think I want to start exploring some options and, and have someone replace Queen Vashti. And so the king sends word to all the provinces hey, we're going to do a year-long process, like a, a pageant, and we're going to do some auditions, and we're going to find the next queen. This is probably like the first American Idol. Um, honestly, the show has been around so long, I'm probably not far off. But you have this year-long process of, of this king wanting to find the next queen. Now, it's at this point in, in the book that you're introduced to this character named Mordecai. Mordecai is a godly man. He is a God-fearing Jew. And, and, and Mordecai is raising his niece, who happens to be a godly young woman, named Esther. And so Mordecai gets word. He sees the notice that, that this pagan king is, is looking for a queen, and he feels led to enter his niece into this pageant. Now, he gives his niece, Esther, some instructions, and he says, don't make it known that you're a Jew. Keep that between us. Don't, don't make that known. He, he enters her into this process, and this crazy thing starts to happen. You start to read that the favor of God was on her, 
that, that every step of the way throughout this year, that, that Esther was finding favor in everybody's eyes, all the officials' eyes. Everyone that had a say-so in the matter was blown away and impressed by Esther. To the point where Esther continues the process so long that the king ends up getting to the point where he nominates or he picks Esther to be his next queen. Now, I can only imagine how surreal this must have been for Esther. I mean, picture yourself just being an ordinary person in the kingdom. You're actually a Jew with a pagan king. You get word that the queen's queenship was terminated, and within a year, God does so many supernatural things that you find yourself being the queen of the kingdom. Must have been so surreal. Now, shortly after Esther is is elevated into this position of being queen, you read that Mordecai one night was sitting outside the king's gates, and he, he happened to overhear a couple of eunuchs plotting to kill the king. They were literally plotting to take the king's life. So Mordecai sends word to Queen Esther, his niece, and he says, listen, I just heard this plot, and these, these guys sounded pretty serious that they're, they're looking to kill the king. Esther takes the news to the king. She goes through the proper channels. She takes the news to the king, and she says, my, my uncle Mordecai, he, he overheard this news, this plot to take your life, and they begin to investigate it, find out that it's true, and the king's life is saved. They catch the men that were plotting to kill the king. It was such a big deal at the time that they actually recorded it in their history books. It's a huge deal. The only thing that's a little weird about the story is you don't really read about any recognition from Mordecai. I mean, this guy just saved the king's life, and you read that it's written in the history books, but that's kind of where the story stops at that point. Now, at the time of of Esther's ascension, to being a queen, there was also a guy who was kind of climbing the ranks. His name was Haman. Now, now Haman was not a good guy. Haman was, was an evil man, a prideful, evil, pagan man. And, and Haman was kind of climbing the ranks to the point where you read that, that the king made him, he nominated him second in command over the entire kingdom. Now, Haman, he was such a prideful guy, he loved everyone bowing down to him. So every time Haman would, would leave the palace, everyone at the king's gates would bow down before him, except one guy, Mordecai. Now, it's funny, Mordecai instructed his niece, don't tell anybody that you're a Jew, but he didn't follow his own instructions. He refused to bow down to Haman, and when Haman called him out on it, he told Haman and everyone around, he said, I'm not going to do it because... I honor God alone. I fear God alone. And so I'm not going to bow down to you. Now, this enraged Haman. He, he could not deal with the fact that everyone else in the kingdom will bow down to him except one man. It was the one man who wouldn't, that, that he could not get out of his head and out of his heart. He was so angry that this guy would not honor him. It messed him up so bad that Haman comes up with this plot to get rid of not just Haman, but all the Jews. So Haman comes to the king, and the, the king really did trust Haman and, and his opinion and his word. And, and Haman says to the king, um, you know, there's this group, the Jews, that are in the kingdom, and I want you to know that they, they think differently than we do. 
They have different views on things that we do. And, and he didn't just paint it in the, in the light that they have different views. He actually painted them as a threat. And he said, this isn't good what's going on. There's, there's this sect of people that it's, it's, it's going to lead to no good. He didn't just leave it there. He then offered the king an insane amount of money for the king to issue a decree that on the 13th day of the 12th month, that in every province, every Jew would be killed. And the king said, okay, Haman, you got it. And so the king signed the decree, and he put it into law, and he, he sent word to all the provinces. Now, at that day, it's not like they did a Facebook post or sent out text messages to all the leaders. They're literally sending men on horseback to all these different regions. You got about a year until this is going to happen. Now, when Mordecai receives word, not only is he afraid for his own life, but his heart is breaking for his people. He realizes that his people are all going to be put to death. So Mordecai calls a servant and he says, you need to go and you need to tell Esther what's about to happen. So Mordecai sends word to Esther. Esther receives the news. And as you can imagine, Esther as well, she's heartbroken. She can't believe it. It's crazy. But Esther's in a little bit of a predicament. You see, even being a queen, you didn't just have access to the king whenever you wanted. You, you were not just allowed to walk up to the king and tell him what was on your mind. The only time that you were allowed before the king is that the king sent for you. You were not allowed to just walk into the king's chambers. If you did, you'd be put to death. Now, I'm sure that in Esther's mind, she remembers Queen Vashti did not do what she was supposed to do, and look what happened to her. That's the very reason why I'm in this, I'm, I'm in this position right now. So she's not only sending word back to Mordecai to say, you don't understand, I can't just walk up to the king and tell him, I'll be killed. If I just walk in there unannounced, I will be killed. She also says, and not only that, the king hasn't sent for me in over a month. And so what's on Esther's mind is the fact she's starting to worry if the king's passion and affection for her is beginning to wane. She doesn't even know really where her and the king stand at this time because it's been so long since the king has sent for her. So, so she sends that word to Mordecai, and Mordecai says, okay. He tells the servant, no, you need to go tell Esther this. We're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows whether or not you're in the position that you are for such a time as this. Who knows if this is not the purpose for why you're positioned here? You see, it's this question that Mordecai sends back to Esther that changes everything for Esther. Changes everything. Now, maybe you're here, and, and because I just told you all of this in a couple minutes, you're like, man, she must be pretty dense. Like, how could she not see that God put her there for a reason? How, how could she not see that she shouldn't have been there to begin with? Of course, this is what God had, had in mind. But you know what? How many of us have so many blessings, so many provisions in life, we could honestly say, I shouldn't be where I am today, but for the grace of God. And yet we have a knack for conveniently being ignorant 
to the pain, the misfortune, the plight of everyone around us? How many of us have a, have a convenient way of saying, man, that's tough. I wish there was more that I could do. I wish I had more time. I wish I had more money. I wish I was in a better position to be able to help that person, but, you know, I just, I can't. But it was this question posed to Esther, but, but maybe you're here for this reason. Maybe you are positioned here for this purpose. So I want to give you three steps, simple, practical, easy steps to find the purpose in your position. Because there is purpose for everyone in every seat here tonight. Three things. The first thing is this. You need to look at what and who is around you. In other words, you need to take your eyes off of yourself and put your eyes on everybody else. Notice that Esther's first response is what will come natural to you and I and what we do all the time. Esther's first response to this horrific news is, oh, man, but you don't understand. I can't. The position that I'm in, I'm not allowed to just. See, Esther's eyes immediately went to herself and what she would be facing and what she could or couldn't do. But Mordecai's response to Esther is not to first put the attention on her, but on all the Jews that are about to lose their life. And so we can go through life and not even intentionally mean to do it, but end up living a life that is just fully, completely consumed with me. You know, I can get so wrapped up in the, the day-to-day, the bills, right? That, that the, the, the job, all the responsibilities, even good things, you know, being a dad, being a husband, being a provider, all of these things. I can get so wrapped up into everything that I'm facing. And you know where we live? It's, it's just exponentially harder, I feel like. Everything is so expensive. We never, we never have enough money. You can never work enough. You can never save up enough. There are so many things that are grabbing for your attention. You got your kids' play practices and sports schedules, and, and, and you got overtime that you got to get in order to have the money to pay all the bills because it's so expensive to live. It is just so easy to fall into the trap of going throughout 2020 and really never taking your eyes off of yourself. And even when a problem is brought to your attention, it kind of just stands on the outside of what you're able to focus on. Man, that does stink and I feel so bad and oh, wish I could do more, but I got to do this. But I, I, I have this going at the moment. I, I, I'm really loaded down at work. You know, I got a lot going on with the family. And, and man, you know, I wish it was a better season, but my, my kids just finished the regular season, and now they're about to go on the travel team, and that actually means we're going to be even busier. There's always an excuse. There, there, there's always a reason to focus on you. But if you want to find the godly purpose in your position at the moment, it's going to require you to first take your eyes off of yourself and, and for you to observe what and who is around you. And I can promise you this, if you wake up tomorrow morning and you go into work, you go into that classroom at the school that you attend, you go into your social circle, if you just take a few minutes and you take your eyes off of yourself and you say, Holy Spirit, can you just show me what and who is around me? You will begin to see so quickly that there are so many hurting, broken, hopeless people around you. You will begin to see that, that everywhere that you turn, there is a need for God. That there is a need for, for God to bring healing and bring deliverance and bring breakthrough. If you could just take your eyes off of your circumstance for a moment, 
you become aware of the need all around you. Mordecai says, they're they're all going to be wiped out. But he doesn't just leave it there. He goes on to step two. See, not only do you need to put your eyes on others and and see what and who's around you, but, but then you need to put your eyes on God. Then you need to bring your eyes back to what God desires to do. I love the fact that Mordecai says, listen, you're not going to escape it either, but, but, but don't get it twisted. God's going to save his people. God's going to do what God is going to do. When, when you begin to take a survey of what and who is around you and, and the need for peace and for grace and for God's presence and for salvation all around you, it can be quickly become discouraging, depressing, overwhelming, daunting. But you don't keep your eyes there. You, you see the need. You see the hurt. You see the pain. You see the brokenness, the hopelessness. But then you direct your eyes to God and what God desires to do, what Jesus died for. And, and you begin to see that he paid the ultimate price to fill the hurt, to heal the pain to bring freedom to the captive, to, to, to break loose the chains of bondage for the people that we're surrounded by. Mordecai reminds God is going to save his people. He is going to find a way to bring salvation for his people. you got to put your eyes on others. Then you need to put your eyes on God and what he desires to do. And then you're allowed to bring your eyes back to yourself. Mordecai points to the problem, he points to the solution, and then he brings it back to Esther and says, but who knows, maybe you're here because this is your purpose. Maybe you were brought into this kingdom for such a time as this. You know, it's, it's only when you begin to look at the pain of others, when you begin to look at the grace of God, and then you realize that you're the link in between the two, that you begin to realize, you know what? Maybe the reason why I'm in this job is because there's some people that need to know the Lord. There's some people that need to be encouraged. There's some healing that needs to take place. There's some freedom that's really needed at the moment. There's someone who needs a friend. There's someone who needs somebody to walk through life with them. Maybe I'm not just here by coincidence. I'm not just here because I aced the interview. I'm not just in this class because it's another gen ed that I have to check off my list. Maybe God has ordained it because there is purpose for me being in this environment at the moment. Maybe I'm I'm not just waiting on what I'm saying, but maybe God has positioned me here and he's keeping me here at the moment because there's some purpose behind why I'm here. It, it It was this sequence that really opened Esther's eyes to the fact of, what am I talking about? Man, there, God's gonna use me. God has put me here for a reason. God, God, God desires to do something, and who am I to stand in the way of that? Who am I to ignore that? Who am I to get caught up with being a queen in a kingdom and, and being so consumed with what I have and what I'm risking? Man, if God put me here, God wants me here. If God has positioned me here, there is purpose to where I'm positioned. You want to find the position for your, or purpose for your position, for your season of life? Man, begin to look around you. Bring your eyes back to God. You want to know what God desires? You want to know what God plans to do? To know God's plan is to know God. You want to know what God thinks? Read his word. You want to know what, what is, is on God's heart at the moment? Ask him. Spend time in prayer. Spend time seeking God. Spend more time listening and less time talking. You want to know what God desires? Ask him. Read it. 
And then make sure that you bring your eyes back to yourself. So what am I going to do about it? What can I do? What, what is before me? What is around me? God, how do you desire to use me? As Esther's eyes are opened to this, she, she takes action. She, she responds to Mordecai. That, that question did it for her. She responds to Mordecai, okay. But the action that she takes immediately may surprise you. And as, as important as asking ourselves these questions, I want to take note of, of how she handled the situation from here on out. See, as she's made aware of the fact that there is purpose to why she's here, the first thing that she does, she sends word back to Mordecai. She says, okay, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray for three days. And I, I want to ask that all of you guys fast and pray for me too. Now, this stands out to me because Maybe it's because I'm a guy. Maybe it's my personality. I don't know. But when I'm made aware of a problem, especially when I realize it's my responsibility, I'm like, all right, let's go. What do I got to do? How do I fix it? Let's go. Come on. I want to waste any more time. I don't want to talk about it anymore. What do I got to do? Where do I start? You know, I'm like one of those guys where I'm like, I try to build it before I read the instructions. I only, I only go to the instructions if I messed it up. And then I realize, and, you know, I, I kind of still think that the instructions are wrong. But that's just how I am. I love the fact that even with such a pressing issue, a timely issue, that Esther realized the importance, I'm not going to move until I dedicate this to God. I'm not going to move until I give God a chance to speak into the situation and give me wisdom and clarity because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. But when you begin to have your eyes opened to the godly purpose that's behind your life, the best thing that you could do, the first thing that you should turn to is say, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, you got to show me what to do you got to show me how to approach this. Give me a game plan. Give me wisdom. Give me clarity on how this is supposed to look. So she says to Mordecai, I'm going to fast and pray for three days. After she fasts and prays for three days, she makes the decision, all right, I'm going to take a step in faith, and I'm going to go to the king's courts. And you read that, that Esther, in faith, she walks to the king's courts, and as the king is in his chamber, he sees that she's out in the courts, and you read that she wins favor in the king's eyes. She didn't say anything. She didn't approach the king. What she did was she did what she could do, and she left the rest up to God. And God didn't leave her hanging. God did what he could do. God somehow puts it on the heart of the king that, that she wins favor in the king's eyes, and the king says, hey, go get Go get Esther. So Esther comes in, and the king could see that there's something wrong, and so he said, what, what's up? What, what do you desire? What's going on? What, what, what's on your heart? And again, I, I, I want to make a note of this because for me, I think that I would have jumped at the opportunity. When he's asking what's wrong, I would have just been like, okay, I guess here's my opportunity. Boom, and laid it all out. But Esther handles it a little weird. He says, what do you want? I'll give you anything. He says, even if you ask for half of the kingdom, I'll give it to you. Sounds like a green light, but there must have been some sort of check in Esther's spirit because Esther responds by saying, I was actually wanting to do a feast, and I was wondering if, if you and Haman would attend the feast tomorrow night. The king says, okay, sure, we'll be there. Now, as you're reading this in real time, you're like, that's weird. You just missed your shot, Esther. Way to go. So you read that Esther, she prepares this feast, and Haman, second in command, this just feeds his ego. You know, Haman is like, the queen, 
prepares a feast, and she only invites two people in the whole kingdom, it's the king and me. Who's got it better than me? Of course I would be invited. This just feeds the ego of Haman. So the king and Haman, they attend the feast. It's an awesome dinner. And after the dinner, the king says to Esther once again, he says, all right, so what's up? What's going on? What do you need? I'll give you anything. Even if you ask for half of the kingdom right now, I'll give it to you. You'd think this would be the perfect opportunity. But again, Esther holds off and Esther says, I actually wanted to do another feast tomorrow. And I was wondering if you and Haman would attend. King says, okay, we'll attend. Now, this makes no logical, natural sense. Like, there's a problem at hand. We're, we're kind of on a time crunch here, Esther. You fasted and prayed. The king is asking you straight up, what do you want? What do you need? And it, and it seems like she's passing on the opportunity. But what you begin to see is that she wasn't chickening out. It wasn't that she didn't have enough guts to say what she needed to say. She was being sensitive to what God was speaking to her. Now, I do not believe that Esther would have had the sensitivity to hold off these two opportunities if she hadn't first spent three days fasting and praying. Esther positioned her heart to say, God, as I do this, as I go through this, I need you to speak to me. I need you to lead me. And God was giving her a check to say, not yet. Not yet. Even though it looks like it's what you've asked for, even though it's what you've been praying for, not yet. Not yet. So, so that night, after the second banquet, after, after the king asked again and, and, and she didn't say anything and she invited him back, you read that, that Haman is leaving the banquet. And as he's, he's leaving the king's gates, guess who's at the king's gates once again? It's Mordecai. And guess who doesn't bow down? Mordecai. Now Haman, being so puffed up from being invited to these banquets with the king and the queen, I'm in royal company, he just can't take it anymore. You're not going to bow to me? Right, we're not waiting until the 13th day of the 12th month. I'm going to take care of this problem right now. Haman is enraged. And so he gathers his servants together that night, and he says, I want you to build a gallows all night because we're about to hang Mordecai tomorrow. First thing in the morning, I'm marching in. I'm going to go into the courts. When the king calls me in, I'm going to tell the king what Mordecai has been doing, and we're going to have the gallows already built. We're going to hang this man. Now, as the gallows are being built throughout the night, you see the book bounce back to the king. And you read that the king was unable to sleep all night. You read that there was something, or, or probably better said someone, that God was preventing this king from being able to sleep. How many of you get so frustrated when you can't fall asleep that you just give up and you're like, all right, fine, I'm going to grab my phone and I know it's going to be three hours, but whatever, because I'm just getting annoyed sitting here. Or maybe if you're, you're really committed, you just turn Netflix on. You're like, yep, I'm about to binge watch the entire Office series, but I don't care because I'm just getting annoyed sitting here. Maybe the king would have reached for those two options if they were available. I don't know. But what the king did was, to me, a far less thr thrilling option. The king couldn't sleep, so the king called for some scribes to come in and begin to read the history books to him sounds like it put me to sleep too. But you see, there's no coincidences in this story. As the king is unable to sleep and the scribes begin to read these history books to the king, they read all night, 
And as night begins to turn into morning, the scribes happen to get to the point in the history book where they read the story of a man named Mordecai overhearing a plot to kill the king who gives word to the queen who saves the king's life. And the king stops and he says, hey, one sec, what did we ever do for Mordecai? And the scribes say, we didn't do anything. And the king is like, how did we not honor that guy? He saved my life. Now, it's so funny because how many times do we go through life and we think that provision is going to look a certain way or we think that God's going to handle something a certain way and when it doesn't happen, we just take it as, okay, God, I guess you're not faithful. Okay, God, I, I really can't explain this. I'm sure Mordecai at some point felt like he was a little passed over, but how amazing that in the timing of God this night, it comes to the king's attention now. We never honor, honored Mordecai. Now, it's at this very moment that the king is having this realization that Haman is approaching the king's courts. And as the king sees Haman in the courts, he invites him into the chamber. We're going to pick up in verse 6 of, of chapter 6. It says, So Haman came in, and the king said to him, Hey, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? He's got to be talking about me, right? I'm the big deal. I'm the guy who's been at the two feasts with just the king and the queen. I'm the guy who's second in command. He must be talking about me, right? So Haman answers back to the king, you know what? For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn. And let the horse that the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one, the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Okay, hurry, take the robes and the horses you said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you've mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and Haman dressed Mordecai, and he led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. As Haman finishes this up, he is raging. Going in thinking that he's about to have this man hung, this man that has dishonored him, he spent the afternoon parading around honoring publicly. And so Haman goes home and he is, he's about to kill somebody. And Haman realizes, I have to go back to the banquet that Queen Esther is throwing. So he gets his stuff together, and he makes his way to the banquet. As Haman and the king come to the banquet, they, they share a nice meal with Esther. And for a third time, the king says to Esther after the meal, okay, so what is it? What's going on? What do you need? It, even if you want half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. Just tell me what you need. And it's at this moment that Esther feels God. Give her the green light. And she says, okay, king, there's been a plot to not only take my life, but the life of, of all of my people. 
There's an evil man who's come up with this whole thing and orchestrated this whole thing. And I'm asking that you take care of this man and that you'd save me and my people. Now the king, again, not knowing that she was a Jew, the king says, of course. I'm not going to let that happen to you. He says, so, so, so who's this evil man? Who, who was it that was plotting to do all this? And Esther looks across the table. She says, it's Haman. I'm a Jew. And it's at that time that a, a servant chimes in and he says, hey, king, you might want to know, too, that Haman actually had us build gallows all night to hang Mordecai, who you just said we should honor. And the king looks at Haman in disgust and anger and rage. And he has the servants, he has his officials, go hang Haman on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. The story would be awesome if we stopped there. It doesn't end there. Not only does the king have Haman taken care of, but then the king, he reverses the decree. He says on the 13th day of the 12th month, the Jews aren't going to be touched. But better yet, I'm giving the Jews permission to attack their enemies. The people that have come against the Jews, I'm giving the Jews a green light that day that they can take care of business. And it'd be awesome if it just stopped there. But then he, he looks at Mordecai and he says, you are going to be second in command. You are going to fill the shoes of Haman, who we just killed. You see, only God. could have orchestrated a young Jewish girl climbing the ranks to be queen with a pagan king. Only God could have arranged it for Mordecai to overhear a plot to kill the king, for it to be written down in history books. Only God could, could have arranged all of these series of events to the timing of it to make sense to where Mordecai's life is spared and, and the number one enemy to his people, the number one enemy of the Jews to be eliminated. And in one motion, not only is the enemy eliminated, the Jews can wipe out the enemies on the ground and Mordecai, a guy who fears the Lord, is now elevated to second in command over the kingdom. Only God can take a situation where I am sure every Jew in the kingdom, the queen herself, Mordecai, a man who feared the Lord, was panicked because it seemed like God was nowhere to be found. It seemed like, God, how could you allow this pagan king to send out an order throughout the land that we're all going to be killed? God, where are you? God, what's going on? God, I, I thought you loved this. God, I thought you were, we were your people. I, I, I thought you would never leave us. Or what's going on, God? But God had a plan. God had a purpose. God knew what he was doing all along. And, and it was the moment when a young Jewish girl realized that there was purpose in her position that set this chain of events off. God was able to use the surrender and the obedience of someone just being aware. Someone just saying, there's a need. I know there's a solution. And I can do something about it. Have you investigated? Have you, have you asked yourself, have you sought the Lord? God, what purpose do you have for me, my life right now? What, what purpose do you have for me in 2020? Why do you have me here in this job? 
God, I know you put me in this family for a reason. God, God, what is it that you want me to do? God, God, show me the need. Show me what you desire to do. And God, I am willing to embrace the purpose. I know that I'm not here by coincidence. I know that I'm not here by chance. God, use me. I want to challenge you, man, with making the decision tonight to say in 2020, I am embracing the fact that I am positioned with purpose. So, so January and however January pans out and whatever February holds and whatever March looks like and if, if April is good or bad, I am positioned with purpose. And so at every point this year, I will make room for God to show me the purpose in this season, at this moment, in this circumstance. I want to ask you to stand tonight as we wrap up and we close out with a song. We have a prayer team that's going to be standing along the back. And, uh, you know, I want to encourage you, if you're here tonight and maybe something resonated with you, maybe there's something in your mind already and, and, and you know what it is. Maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you're here and there's something weighing on you that has nothing to do with what we just talked about. Our prayer team is back there. Listen, they just want to hear you out. They want to be an ear to listen. They want to support you, pray with you, believe with you that there's going to be change and breakthrough and provision. So as soon as we start this song, man, I just want to invite you. You can just step out of your seat, make your way to the back, and they'd love to just pray with you and encourage you tonight. For the rest of us here, I want to challenge you. I want to give you homework. Can you make room this week, starting tonight when you go home, starting tomorrow when you wake up, can you make room this week for God to begin to reveal to you the purpose in your position right now? Could you begin to ask God throughout the week, God, why do you have me here? God, why do you have me around these people? God, God, what's the reasoning for that? God, God, show me what you want me to do. Show me, help me to take my eyes off of myself. Let me put my eyes on the need around me, the people around me. God, God, show me what your desire is for my situation. God, God, show me the purpose and the destiny that you have for me. I want to challenge you. Could you make room in your busy week this week to seek God for your purpose for this month, for this week, for 2020? And I want you to come back here next week with that thing written down, with that thing in your mind, and we're going to take the next step to ensuring that 2020 is going to be a year of breakthrough, a year of provision, a year of, of supernatural miracles taking place, a year of purpose being fulfilled. Come on, if you're here tonight and you say, God, that's me, God, I desire that, I want to ask you, could you raise your hands? Right now, man, just begin to ask the Holy Spirit. Begin to show me what you have for me. Begin to speak to me, Holy Spirit. God, we, we come before you tonight, God, and we, we just thank you, Lord, that, that I don't, I'm not just living for what I see. I'm not just living for the things that happen here in the physical. But, God, I thank you that there is eternal destiny and purpose backing my life. God, I thank you that you have created me to do something. God, that you are involving me in your plan of salvation and in, in, in your outstretched arm of hope and peace and grace and mercy to humanity. God, I thank you that you could use a messed up, broken person like me. Holy Spirit, I pray starting right now and going throughout this week that you begin to speak so clearly to us. God, areas of my life that I've just taken for granted, areas of my life that... 
I haven't paid much attention to. I just pray that you begin to show me what your purpose is. Show me the people that I need to encourage, that I need to be a friend to. Show me, show me the relationships that I need to start to pray for and intercede for, God. Show me the things that I need to stop accepting and start believing for change for, God. Show me the areas of growth that I need to begin to experience because it, it's directly connected with the purpose that you have on my life. Holy Spirit, I pray that the next time I begin to accept a lie that 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 maybe this this season is just one that's wasted. Maybe this season is one where I can't find any purpose, but maybe there's purpose the next time. I pray that you would you would just set up a guard against our minds that we would never accept a lie of the enemy like that, but we would believe and know that you work all things out for good, that in every season, in every circumstance, in every situation, Lord, there is purpose. God, we thank you, Lord. For the power that, 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 that you have, Lord, that you are in all and over all, God, that you desire to work in us and through us. God, we give you our lives tonight. God, we dedicate this season, this series to you. Holy Spirit, speak to us clearly. Give us the strength to surrender and be obedient. We worship you and we love you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.